0: Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly Podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki of Pexels, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Chris coat There's a broad... Massive news this week across all aspects of financial crime. Nothing stands out, especially. So we'll have a look at that, and then we'll, of course, round up the cyber attack news this week. As usual, I've linked the main stories which I flag in the podcast right there in the description. We'll start with sanctions news. A joint statement by South Korea and the US stating that the recent agreement between Russia and North Korea on military cooperation is in breach of sanctions. While both countries have insisted that they will make Russia and North Korea pay for the agreement they've reached, no details on how this is to be achieved has yet been provided. Staying with the US, the Department of the Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Control has announced sanctions against a range of individuals and entities in Iran, China, Russia and Turkey, all of whom are said to have links to the Iranian Unmanned Aerial, aerial Vehicles Programme. Now these are the things, these drones, which have been used so effectively by Russia in the invasion of Ukraine. The sanctioned network is believed to have facilitated shipments and transactions. Finally, from the U.S., the Department of Justice has announced the arrest and charging of Maxim Marchenko, a Russian citizen resident in Hong Kong, with, quotes conspiring to defraud the United States and with smuggling, wire fraud, and money laundering offences based on his alleged participation in a scheme unlawfully to procure U.S.-sourced dual-use microelectronics with military applications on behalf of end-users in Russia. Link to all those press releases can be found in the podcast description. In Europe now, specifically the European Union, where it's time for the periodic stories which precede the announcement of the next package of sanctions against Russia, we're now looking at the 12th package, which is likely to include a ban on purchasing Russian diamonds and just maybe something on the use of profits for Ukraine, which are derived from frozen Russian assets. However, there is some reluctance among member states of the European Union, as there seems to be in advance of just about every announcement of every round of sanctions. The concern is, as always, the breadth and depth of any proposals. My prediction is it'll rumble on for a few weeks before some strong-arming or a compromise is reached at the 11th hour. Watch this space. Staying in Europe, but in the Netherlands this time where the Dutch Fiscal Information and Investigation Service has arrested an official of the Defence Ministry for allegedly assisting in the evasion of EU sanctions against Russia by the export of parts for use in aircraft to Russia via third countries. Uh, More sanctions now, more sanctions on Russian individuals and entities, this time imposed by Canada. The sanctions respond specifically to those concerned in the illegal movement and detention of Ukrainian children and the dissemination of propaganda. The link to the updated sanctions regime is in the podcast description. This week's sanctions news stories end in the UK, where the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, has announced amendments to the entries relating to four individuals subject to the Russian sanctions regime – amended three entries on the isil daesh and al-qaeda financial sanctions regime and they have issued a license relating to payments to water companies for water and sewage of all things links to the notices and the updated consolidated list can be found in the podcast description and finally in the uk the national crime agency has dropped its investigation into mikhail fridman the russian oligarch who was being investigated for sanctions evasion now before i close the sanctions section of this week's financial crime weekly podcast some interesting investigative journalism which is worth flagging to you now this relates specifically to the movement of what's estimated to be a billion dollar art collection which was owned by the sanctioned russian oligarch roman abramovich now the movement the movement of these art collections appears to have gone from Abramovich to his ex-wife, Dasha Zhukova. Now, this happened, apparently, in the weeks before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. These assets, these, this collection, has not yet been seized by any of the jurisdictions that might have imposed sanctions. Interesting. Worth a read. I've linked to two of the articles, that, or two websites which run with this story, The first, which is the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, and the other is the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. And both of the links can be found in the podcast description. Now, that's it for sanctions. On to fraud news this week. This week's fraud news, really, well, it begins and it ends in the US. There's a host of stories. I mean... U.S. Department of Justice has really done itself proud this week with the number of stories it's churned out. I've listed them all in the podcast description, but I'm not going to go through them all. But I will flag the following. First, two are concerned with COVID-19 recovery scheme fraud, as there seem to be almost every week. First of all, three residents of Albuquerque, which I can't say without getting the song The King of Rock and Roll by Prefab Sprout in my head. But anyway... They've been uh, indicted for COVID-19 fraud, while a New Haven man has been imprisoned for 37 months for fraud on the Paycheck Protection Programme, the sum of the fraud amounting to a little over $41,000. The final fraud story from the US is a Ponzi-style scheme of property investments where an attorney has pleaded guilty to his part in the scheme. As the Department of Justice press release explains, the investor clients began suffering losses in the investments that Wisnicki, who was the perpetrator, he was the attorney, had arranged. Rather than notify the investor clients of their losses, Wisnicki used funds from the Wisnicki firm's clients, that was a law firm, who did not participate in the real estate investments. Now, those funds were held in trust in the firm's IOLA accounts and transferred those funds to the investor clients to mask their losses. Classic Ponzi scheme. You take from others to make losses or indeed low profits seem shored up or better than they are. Wisnicki falsely represented to these clients that their funds were still held in the Wisnicki firm's IOLA accounts when in fact he transferred those funds to his investor clients. Links to all the stories and a couple of others can be found in the podcast description. Now, away from fraud and to money laundering. In terms of the money laundering news this week, we begin, I suppose, and end in the UK, where first the Gambling Commission, after a relatively quiet period for the Gambling Commission, has announced a sanction of almost seven hundred thousand pounds against Lindar Media Limited, which trades as Mr Q and Mr with breaches of corporate social responsibility obligations, as well as breaches of money laundering and counter-terrorism obligations. It failed to comply specifically with license condition 12.1.1, requiring compliance with measures to prevent money laundering and terrorist financing, as well as Ordinary Code Provision 2.1.1 requiring non-remote and remote casino licence holders to act in accordance with the Commission's guidance on anti-money laundering, the prevention of money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism. Link to the press release and the public statement are in the podcast description. Two minor stories now. First, the National Crime Agency has announced its new SARS portal user feedback form. The link, which downloads as a Microsoft Excel file, is in the podcast description. And finally, the Joint Money Laundering Steering Group has announced uh, His Majesty's Treasury has given ministerial support for revisions to Chapter 22 of Part 2 of its Anti-Money Laundering and Countering Terrorist Financing Guidelines or guidance for the financial services sector relating to crypto asset transfers. Linked to the press release, uh, release rather, which links to the relevant part of the guidance, can be found in the podcast description. Now, to bribery and anti-corruption news this week. The main bribery news comes from the UK and a decision of the Supreme Court in the dispute between the Republic of Mozambique and a range of defendants, including a shipbuilder, Prininvest or Privinvest. Mozambique alleges a range of wrongs, including bribery and unlawful means conspiracy relating to payments made in connection with sovereign guarantees which Mozambique provided. The case in the Supreme Court concerned the interpretation of Section 9 of the Arbitration Act 1996, which mandates a court to stay proceedings in respect of a matter which is to be referred to arbitration. The supreme court decided that the matters which were claimed were not matters within the agreed arbitration under the contract therefore the case brought by mozambique could be commenced in the high court and that's believed to be happening on the 3rd of october or certainly when it's listed for the link to the supreme court judgment and the press summary can be found in the podcast description the other piece of anti-corruption news is from the US, where the Attorney-General Merrick Garland hosted Ukrainian Prosecutor-General Andrei Kostin at the Department of Justice, in a meeting with a broad range of discussions, including accountability for perpetrators and anti-corruption, was also on the agenda. As the press release provides, Attorney-General Garland reiterated the Department's commitment to work with Ukraine's Prosecutor-General's Office the Specialised Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office, the SAPO, and the National Anti-Corruption Bureau to support and strengthen efforts to target high-level corruption through the Criminal Division's Office of Overseas Prosecutorial Development assistant and Assistance and Training, Resident Legal Advisor in Kyiv. The link to that is in the podcast description. A little bit of market abuse news now, not much, but back to Sweden for this week's Market Abuse News, where the Financial Supervisory Authority is to investigate whether NASDAQ Stockholm violated market regulations by failing to report suspected insider trading. The relevant period relates to activities over 2021 and 2022. NASDAQ is cooperating with the regulator. Now a bit of general news before we launch into this week's cyber attack news. We'll start with news on Unexplained Wealth Orders, where they seem to have taken centre stage this week. Uh, A UWO, or an Unexplained Wealth Order, gives a person who owns or occupies property an opportunity to explain the acquisition of the property, but that if they're not forthcoming with a sufficiently adequate explanation, then the property can be disgorged by the state. Well, this week, legal history was made, at least according to the language used by the National Crime Agency in its press release, when Yakub Yunis and his company, against whom a an unexplained wealth order was obtained in June 2023, quotes, did not comply with the requirements imposed by the UWO, and this failure has given rise, for the first time in British legal history, to a statutory presumption that the assets subject to the unexplained wealth order may be recoverable property. Press release is in the podcast description. The other news is the publication of the Unexplained Wealth Order's 2022-2023 annual report This report covers the period from 15th May 2022 to 14th May 2023. The report highlights that only one UWO was applied for during the relevant period, which was granted in June 2023, and that's the one which made legal history earlier this week. While the report recognises this as disappointing, it offers the context of the UK's overall asset recovery regime as at least in part, explaining this matter, and that UWOs are intended for exceptional and complex cases, so their operation is best regarded as niche. The report, in all its glory, is available at the link in the podcast description. Now, just one more thing, and it's a direction to a blog post from Spotlight on Corruption, which urges the UK to do more on asset recovery. Couldn't be more timely. Link to that is in the podcast description. Now, on the broader theme of asset recovery, there's been a lot churning on that this week. The FATF, that's the Financial Action Task Force, Interpol partnership meeting ended on Wednesday this week, having convened 200, quotes law enforcement, prosecutors, asset recovery, policy, and regulatory experts from both the public and private sectors to discuss asset recovery issues and practical solutions to deprive criminals of their illicit assets and contribute to a safer society. The press release is apparently not agreed because both the FATF and Interpol issued independent releases can be found in the podcast description. Now we end this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast with a look at cyber attack news. The quiet times for cyber attack news continue, I suppose, with a limited range this week. We'll start with updates on the MGM cyber attack where, after 10 days of disruption, the hotels and casinos are back up and running, presumably MGM will be delighted because the attack was costing, if the stories that I've read this week are to be believed, anywhere between four and eight and a half million US dollars per day. There's a decent range of news this week in the form of attacks on governmental bodies and agencies. First, the finance ministry in Kuwait, has reported that a cyber attack on its systems was identified and the systems and controls in place for such an event were activated and systems were broadly able to operate well. Secondly, the International Criminal Court in The Hague has announced that it was the victim of a cyber attack last week where a large volume of sensitive documents were accessed. The ICC is investigating the attack with Dutch authorities, where part of the investigation will consider whether the attack was perpetrated by a sovereign nation. Well, if MGM were willing to take the bet, I think I'd probably have a stab on one particular country. The third piece of news in this context is from Australia, where the government has announced that it plans to build six cyber shields around the country as part of its 2023 to 2030 cyber security strategy. It can scarcely be surprising that this has become of concern to the Australian government, given the broad range of cyber attacks. On Australian governmental agencies and corporations, I suppose at both federal and state level in Australia, there have been attacks, but also there have been attacks on corporations, which we've talked about on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. There have been quite a few over the last months, actually. You can expect more on this strategy and its implementation. I suppose we might also expect to see a round of recruitment for cyber professionals, The next piece of news in this area, the final piece of news in this context, I suppose, just squeaked out at the end of the week. And that is a report that the government of Bermuda has been the victim of a cyber attack. And they've gone on record and suggested that it could be Russia, as most likely. In other news, Airbus is investigating a cyber attack on its systems, which has been claimed by the ransomed group. Airbus was subject to a reported cyber attack in 2019. So it can be no surprise that its people have been saying across all the wires this week that it takes cybersecurity seriously data from the attack has been dumped in the usual places and it includes a range of personal information now a couple of things to read first the u.s attorney's office has published a story concerning recent training focused on techniques for fighting internet crimes which target businesses and individuals. The key takeaways from the event can be found in the link at the podcast description. The other bits of news are first a story from Statista, which looks at the most prevalent forms of cybercrime, with a striking estimate made of the scale of losses set at $7.1 trillion in 2022. I'm assuming that's US dollars which is up from 1.9 trillion US dollars in 2019. That is a more than trebling of that figure in three years. It's an interesting little report. You can read it at the link in the podcast description. The final bit of news this week. And I suppose they're linked stories. They're linked, I suppose, UK and Singapore first. The House of Commons Science and Technology Committee in the United Kingdom has commenced an inquiry into cyber resilience, the cyber resilience of the United Kingdom's um, systems and controls, its infrastructure, really, particularly its national, its critical national infrastructure. As part of that inquiry that it's conducting into how resilient it is, it's published a call for evidence with responses expected by the 10th Of November 2023. Link to that is in the podcast description. And on the subject of critical national infrastructure, to Singapore now, which has announced that it held its cyber crisis management exercise, which tested 11 critical sectors and their response to a complex of cyber attacks. Critical sectors are deemed to be aviation, banking and finance, energy, government, healthcare, info communications, land transport, maritime media, security and emergency, and water link to the press release is in the podcast description well that's it for this week's episode of the financial crime weekly podcast if you want to do so you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again all being well next week with the usual roundup of all things financial crime have a genuinely great week everyone